You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's podcast, I'm welcoming someone that has made me wait nearly over 12 months, 12 to 18 months, but I can tell you it's been well worth the wait. Welcome Patrick Kennedy from Kennedy Nolan. Thank you, Elizabeth. Wasn't designed to be difficult, just that I just wanted you to be really sure that you wanted me on this podcast. Love it. (laughs) Now, Patrick, I, I know a lot of your history, but maybe just for our listeners, you could just talk to us a little bit around where you grew up. And a little bit about your childhood. Okay. So I grew up in different parts of country Victoria. I was born in a place called Springhurst near Wangaratta, so northeast Victoria. And we lived in Stall in western Victoria. And then we lived in Koryong in the Snowy Mountains. And then I spent most of my childhood in Wodonga, which is on the Murray River, across the river from Albury, where my business partner Rachel grew up, although we never knew each other until we were at university. So we lived in the same residential college at Melbourne University, and that's where we met. But yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely childhood. I have three brothers. We did a lot of things together as a family. Was there a reason you were moving around a lot? Like, was yeah, that... because my dad was a teacher. Okay. And in those days, that's what the Department of Education did. They mm-hmm. would send people to different spots. Yeah, right. And then, and then we ended up in Wodonga. And now all my family live in Melbourne. So I have my three brothers all live down here and my parents live down here too but yeah it was a, it was a really nice childhood did you find moving around were you always going to different schools was that well i was only at really two schools okay so it was most of the moving was when i was under eight yeah but i guess the place that stuck in my mind the most was when we lived in Coryong. So it's such a beautiful little town mm. and we were at a tiny little catholic school with just a couple of nuns and it was a, in a beautiful spot and it was a lovely little community mm-hmm. and my brothers and I all have such fond memories of that place. And do you think now that living in, obviously, inner city Victoria, what perspective did it give you growing up in, in regional Victoria? Well, I have to say I don't really yearn to live in regional Victoria no. any, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I feel like more of a city person. But it was kind of perfect as a child. Mm -hmm. And as I said, our family was really close and we did lots of things together. Mm -hmm. We used to go cross-country skiing up in the snowy mountains, all of us together, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. And we had some little dinghies, which we used to sail at the Uber Yacht Club, Mm -hmm. which things we could all do together as a family. So it was actually pretty idyllic, really. Mm -hmm. But I guess now my interests lie very much in the city, particularly professionally, but also the things that I love doing now that I'm interested in. And so when did sort of this career or even studying architecture, when did that sort of come to you as an idea or a desire? Well, I think mum and dad always were interested in design themselves. That wasn't their area, but they were always interested in it and they used to show us things. And I, I was my interest was peaked very young. And I remember my cousins had a house designed by Graham Gunn. It was a merchant builder's house it was an early one and Graham had done it himself mm. and I just loved this house it was in sort of a bushy part of Melbourne and it really just captured my um 
imagination. What was it about the house? Well, it felt really different to other houses I'd seen. It, it was really textural. It was lots of, it was very expressive of the materiality. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was all exposed brickwork, which I loved. It was on the interior as well as the exterior. So it smelt different. It, it had a real understanding of, of how pleasurable domestic space could be because mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't bland. Everything felt sort of atmospheric, sort of they created atmospheres because the lighting wasn't consistent and there was always everything open onto gardens and there were different aspects and 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 over different levels as well. Mm. It was on a, quite a steep hill. So okay. I think that really stuck in my mind as an early memory. I remember going to the National Gallery. It's a, it's a pretty standard sort of memory coming across that Roy Grounds building, the water wall, of course, mm. but also the interiors, which I just thought was so exciting, the courtyards and the monumental nature of it, the blue stone, the way it's used and seeing that, being able to see the saw cuts on it and the Leonard French ceiling. So that's a, that's a really pivotal memory I have as well. And things in Canberra, the High Court, the National Gallery, I just, they, I just was completely sort of awestruck by those buildings. They just really embedded in my imagination. And I think that's where I first started thinking about architecture. Okay. And then were you supported? So then you came up with that idea and then... It obviously then carried through to be a university choice? Well, I, I, I wanted to be an architect and my dad, one of my dad's friends was an architect mm. and so I did work experience with him and I really enjoyed it. Okay. But then when I went to university, I, I just decided I didn't want to commit to it. Okay. I wanted, and, I, and my cousin who I was close to, she had been doing an arts degree and, I, and she talked about it and I thought it was really interesting. And my parents really encouraged me and my brothers all to do an arts degree. Okay. So I actually started with an arts degree in, with French history, English and fine arts. And I finished that degree as well. But, I, but what happened was when I was living in college at Newman College at Melbourne Uni, I met Rachel and she was the year above me and she was studying architecture. And I remember very clearly being in her room and watching what she was doing. In those days, we had drawing boards, these big drawing boards, and she'd be drawing on this drawing board at these um, certain projects. And I remember one project she was doing in particular, which was they had to all imagine an extension to a Mario Botta building. Mm-hmm. And I just thought this was so fascinating. And it just really completely re- reignited my interest in architecture. And so then I applied to do it the following year, and that's what happened. And then just going back to, I guess, for me, architecture is such a mix or from what I've observed of, of drawing and then obviously the mathematical side. Which part do you enjoy the most? Um, well, I, I enjoy the – look, there's so many parts to architecture. Mm. It's not just those two. There's all, all well, sorts. Well, I'm being really generalistic yeah, yeah. here, but in those early stages. Oh, I think it's the, it's the creative. I mean, it's the will to create, the urge mm. to create. I think that's the that, – yeah, if I'm – yeah, that would be the, the main thing, the mm. idea that you can make something. So it is a sort of, it has got a sort of artistic, mm. I, we always, I think all architects sort of hesitate to describe themselves as artists because it sounds sort of pretentious or, or sort of not quite right. But it is actually about creativity. It is about making things, about imagining things. And so that was definitely, that's definitely the major thing for me. And it, it's always interesting because I came from Disney to this. Yeah. And everyone goes, how did you go from Disney to bricks? But actually working with architects is really very similar to working with creative people. Because yeah, that's exactly what you are. Very difficult. I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so then you enrol, and so now you're in architecture, but you're a year behind Rachel at university. Uh, well, I, 
I would she was a year above me at mm. uni anyway, so I would have been two, two years behind. Years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so how did that so then what was the rest of that university degree like now that you uh, well, changed was, direction? Well, it was slow for me because um, living in college, there were a lot of distractions and architecture requires pretty consistent attendance and that didn't, oh. didn't really happen all the time. Oh, this is a shock. <laughs> so it was a slow progress through architecture. Okay. And so what happened was I would have, would have to repeat subjects in architecture, but the, good, the upside to that was that I was able to finish my arts degree while alongside so which was which was good but it meant that I was at university for a very long time okay I think 10 years in the end right. so living on campus all that time god no I mean no no I mean you can't stay in college for that long no. so but I was at I lived in the area so I moved out of college to North Melbourne and then I moved to Fitzroy and I was always in the area but look at no it was a it was a different time it was really fun there's lots of lots of fun going on mm. And also there was a really quite a deep recession. So mm. it wasn't like chopping at the bit to get out and start starting my career because there wasn't much going on. Yeah. So then yeah. you finish that and what happens next? Well, before before I finished, I at that at that time at Melbourne University you had to do a year of practical experience before you could go into your final two years. And Rachel was working in a practice in Carlton and because of that connection, I was able to get a position there. And so I ended up working there um, for Victoria Hamer in Carlton. And I worked there until I finished my degree. And then I did another year. Rachel had left by this stage and I did another year with Victoria. And at the end of, well, towards the end of that year, Rachel and I thought we can, we've got something we want to do. This, we, we had ideas about what we wanted to do in architecture and we looked around and we couldn't see them being done. And we thought, we're going, to, we're going to do it. We've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And it was a good time to start a practice because the profession had been pretty much decimated by the recession and there weren't, unlike now, there weren't many practices around. And so it wasn't like we were going into a highly competitive market. We're like, oh, we're going to start a practice. There weren't many other practices around. We had friends because we'd been in college who weren't all architects who were starting to want to do things. So we had, they were small, but we had some, projects and the first project we did was for my cousin and uh, yeah so we just threw ourselves into it. Just thinking back to that time what what did you think what you wanted to do what was the difference back then what in your mind how are you approaching things differently that you wanted to go out on your own? Well I mean to be honest architecture in our heads at that time was very much based around residential architecture around houses and which is still really important to us but Mm -hmm. it's a more diverse practice now and I think we looked at the we looked at residential architecture and we found it a bit austere and a bit bland and we found it it the things that we wanted to do were we wanted to reconnect to that late modernism that merchant builders exemplified Mm -hmm. we wanted to find a much closer balance between architecture and landscape. We wanted to look at how colour could be explored and not to suck up to your professional organisation, but we wanted to use bricks because it was a it was a material which was really out of fashion. Mm. Everything was rendered. You never saw bricks. And we wanted we wanted to use them. So yeah. so we felt like there were these things that weren't existing and we and we had these ideas and this this sort of imagination about what residential architecture could be. And so that's that's what sort of pushed us forward. 
And so then, so you got the first role with your cousin. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did how did you go on from there? It was it was just very organic. I mean, mm. it was just the two of us initially working out of a building that Rachel and her her husband owned, and and was was pretty. It was pretty loose. We used to smoke at our desks and go to the pool and just. But we weren't we weren't expecting a lot out of it at that point. But we were meeting lots of people. We were around lots of people. It was a good time to start a practice. So the first project we did, my cousin had won an award that year, won a Victorian Architecture Award. So we started to build momentum pretty quickly in the okay. practice, yeah. and it just grew very incrementally. And then, aside from that first. Aside from that first project, if you looked back in those sort of beginning years, is there a project that really defines that time for you? Or I, th- I don't wouldn't say there was a particular project. They all they all were areas of exploration, mm. and I think when it was just the two of us, and then soon after that, our, our Emma Mitchell came to join us, who, was, who still remains a friend. We everything was an exploration of something new, yeah. a new ideas. So I, I look back at the at the projects and I see that we're all trying different things. We weren't actually developing a house style. We weren't developing a, a Kennedy Nolan style as such. Yeah. We were really looking at projects on a on their own basis, first principles basis each time. And so they all look like different preoccupations at different times. And, and we still try and do that. And I think there's still a diversity apparent in our projects, which is because that's what makes it fun for us is – to look at each new project and think, well, what's this one about? Mm. I mean, we bring our sensibility to it, but it's like, you know, what does this project deserve? What does it need? What is it? What, what could it be? Mm. So I, when I look back on those earlier projects, I feel like they're all explorations, some of which come back today. Even mm. Some of those ideas still come back. Yep. One of the things when I interviewed Rachel, she talked about, how the partnership that you had and also how you do a lot of things that aren't anything to do with architecture. And I just wondered, you've gone on a lot of, you've explored overseas. Has any particular architecture from other parts of the world really influenced how you do things? Look, I wouldn't say specifically it has. No? Not architecture. I think it's really good to see other things because Mm -hmm. in every different place, there's different building conventions and there's different materiality and there's even different ways of inhabiting buildings, mm. different details, different regulations. They all end up with making buildings look different. And I do find that really fascinating, mm. just the way the forces of, of a society make things look even subtly different. But there's nothing specific for me. I mean, I have to say my holidays or my travel is not about architecture mm. ever, really. Yeah. It's, it's about trying to sort of, relax and rest but also just to open my eyes to things which I don't just what I come across mm. and I think that's an important thing too is not to use architecture as an inspiration for architecture all the time and it's obviously a very useful one but when it feels like architecture can be more authentic and the and the inspiration is comes more easily when it actually reflects everything in the world mm. not just other buildings mm. so I, I think travel is about keeping your eyes open to everything I agree where um, do you see the role of architects sort of coming into a world now that's starting to get some awareness around the environment and where things sit? What role do you think architects play in that? Oh, it's absolutely pivotal. It's, impo- it's so important. And I think it's, it's really interesting. Architects have always embraced innovation. Mm-hmm. So if we look at, as another example or an analogy, you look at what happened in the 20th century 
where there were coming out of World War One, there were huge problems about social social inequity and and also about standard of living and housing. So a lot of the, those solutions were solved by architects. Mm. So we sort of take it for granted now, but they looked at how do we accommodate people? How do we house people in dignified in a dignified way? How do we deal with things like sanitation and airflow for health? How do we imagine cities and what they can be after they've been destroyed? So a lot of that innovation drew on modernist principles more broadly in, in all sorts of areas, but architects actually applied it and and actually solved a lot of problems. Mm. I mean, it's not perfect. Obviously, there are a lot of bad outcomes from that, but it was a it was a real it was a genuine optimism and enthusiasm for for change and innovation driven by architects because they just can't help but want to solve problems. And then I think now with the environment environment and sustainability issues we have, architects aren't looking anymore. Well, most architects aren't looking anymore at sort of previous preoccupations which are about what it looks like or how mm. spectacular it is, what it feels like. They're thinking, well, what? how can what I do contribute to solving this problem? So yeah. sustainability has become this huge thing now. Where, and architects are really pushing on it. So there are, there's architects declare, so there's lots of carbon neutral practices, this practice is carbon neutral. And then we're really pushing in terms of technology. How do we make our buildings, how do we make them carbon neutral? How do we make them carbon negative? Mm. So, so we're, that's, that's a real impetus. And I think architects are interested in the world and interested in people and interested in how architecture can solve problems. So we're, as a profession, we're really engaged with it and we'll push it as far as we can. Do you think that, you, that the profession gets the voice it deserves? Oh, look, I think it possibly gets the voice it deserves <laughs> but because it's a pretty introspective prickly profession mm. so people, a lot of people don't like architects and i can kind of empathize <laughs> um, it from that perspective i just think what i've learned in this time is that architects can create something and, and create it to tick off everything that you've just discussed and then a builder comes in or an engineer comes in and suddenly things are different i just wondered whether are there other sectors of construction that get a bigger voice in that? Uh, yeah, and then definitely the architect. We've lost prestige and we've lost influence and we've lost control. In, okay. in I the didn't mean it to go down that path. No, <laughs> yeah. but we have in, in right. terms of the production of buildings. Mm. Like an architect from 50 years ago was basically calling the shots on what happened. And now we have another whole sort of layers of people like project managers and so on. And we're just another cog in the wheel mm. and look some people would say there are good reasons for that i think there's two arguments to that discussion project management can be really effective and useful but actually can also be have a really deadening effect yeah yeah mm. and it's, it, it can prioritize the wrong things and and we're now in an environment where regulation is really stifling architecture mm. and well just not architecture everything mm. and risk over sensitivity to risk mm. i think there's we've lost a lot of the bravery we've lost a lot of the verve people talk about exciting fun or not fun but exciting innovative amazing buildings i mean they're they're so difficult to achieve now in the regu yeah. regulatory environment and the financial controls that we have to deal with and also the the structures of how they're delivered you have to go through 20 committees and 15 project managers and risk officers and it, it, it's deadening. Yeah. 
And then what do you see in the younger generations that are coming out now? How, how does their view differ to, to perhaps what yours was as architects? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, you know what? Embarrassingly, I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I don't really know. I would be interested to find out. Okay. There are so many younger architects and probably I do need to listen more and take more interest no, it's just it. more like we had a university competition and I had the pleasure of interviewing some really, you know, amazing young yeah. architects and, and they sort of came to me with this sort of, I guess, looking at the world that normally you'd go in and demolish something and create something new, whereas their perspective was, well, how can you, you know, improve it or keep yeah. some of it? And I, and I did think that was kind of refreshing, but you may have thought the same thing. So I guess Well, I think that's amazing and yeah. fantastic. And I, I, I think probably young people are more focused on that, mm-hmm. but I think it is the whole profession that's focused on that. Yeah. So, I mean, look, young people are always going to be more engaged with contemporary issues mm-hmm. and feel about them more passionately and fight harder for them. So I think we're all sort of, I would like to think we're all broadly on the same sort of path, yeah. but I would agree that younger people generally I guess, are going to prosecute it and make way more passionate. Obviously, you've used so much brick in what you've done. Why brick? Well, I think the thing we, I like about brick is that, I mean, I, I loved Lego as a kid, another really predictable sort of thing for an architect to say, but I, I do, it's something about the modularity of brick mm. and the, the way that it has infinite um, possibilities as a module. Even though it seems constrained. Yeah, but, know? I mean, to me it feels like it's it can do so many things not that we'd necessarily do a lot of things with it, but there's, it has that it has that potential in there, that feeling of potential. I love the weight of it. I love the fact that it's made from clay, that's of the earth. I love the way that it it lasts so long. I like the way it the way it handles, like the texture and the feel of it, the way it smells. Which sounds weird, but I, for me, all those things they feel really real. So if I'm comparing a very light building made from ultra over or man, highly manufactured materials, to me, I find I find it very hard to make a, an emotional connection to that. Okay. Whereas brick, to me, it feels like it's almost embedded in the psyche of how we make things as humans. And look, that that's pretty esoteric sort of thing to say, but I guess I do feel that. I feel like to me, it means habitation or it means something about how buildings should feel and look and. And, and be and be constructed. I mean, each brick is touched by a person mm. and put into place by a person. It's kind of something kind of magic about it. And then it's also super regional. So depending on where the clay is from, it means the brick is a different colour. Mm. And also they're different module sizes and the mortar's done differently. So it's it's kind of reflective of and these subtle and not so subtle ways of exactly where it comes from too. So it's super mm. regional. There's so many things about it which, to me, make it a really appealing material. And just thinking back when you said you first started you wanted to use brick and it wasn't that contemporary then, what were the conversations like? Were your clients willing to embrace it or was it something that you really had to convince them about? No, we had to convince them, yeah, definitely. And um, we weren't always successful either. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick Kennedy smiled. No, it did not. (laughs) We had to do a bit of tap dancing. And we had to talk about, and because Rachel and I feel very aligned on these things, we had to talk about, and this is when we first started talking about memories, because we talked about our own memories of, of bricks. And we, we started off with, you know, bag brickwork or face or flush mortar brickwork painted white. 
and this is still a material we really, really love. And we, we would just try and paint a picture about what was so compelling about it. We would often talk about Jimmy Watson's wine bar, which is designed by Robin Boyd and mm-hmm. has all this white painted brickwork outside in, and inside. And we just talked about the feeling that it gave you when you, when you went in there and the way it triggered memories and the way it aged so beautifully. And so then we talked about how family houses could be these repositories or manufacturers of memories. And so that's how we kind of got it across the line, I think. Mm. And then how would you compare that to now? Like, has, have things changed? Well, now it's, it's now the material du jour, really. So it's, it's a much less difficult conversation to have. Okay. People, people want it. People like it. The technology's improved. There's there's like organisations like yourself which provide support, technical support, and all sorts all sorts of industry support. So it's actually a much simpler thing now to use brick, and we have great relationships with the brick companies who are very mostly very involved with architects, which is wonderful. And and we have genuine friendships. And and as I said, it's. It's the material du jour and people like it, people want it because I think people are engaging with it Mm. right now. Now, when I look at all of the projects that you've done over the years, there are a couple of signature sort of moves that really stand on a Kennedy Nolan. Do you know what I'm going to talk about? Oh, I could probably have a guess, but I'm going to wait and find out. Oh, wow. (laughs) I think, well, it really is the amount of, I I mean, I want to say portholes, but what's the architecture? Yeah, okay, Mm. well... You can call it whatever you want. Circles. We look, we do. And I, I thought you would say that. <laughs> and it's all, it's kind of embarrassing too, the circle thing in a way, because we now have been so closely sort of aligned to it. But I'll explain why we use them. Because I, one of, I think what one of the things we feel is one of the hardest things to do in a building is to put a window or put openings into it, windows and doors. Yeah. Because if you're looking at a building formally from the outside, windows and doors are representing interior use and so on but they can they don't actually necessarily work with an overall approach to the the form or the morphology and so it can it can make buildings seem sort of if if you're not trying to do something which is completely expressive of function if you're trying to make something slightly more poetic and you Mm -hmm. want to you're trying to make some make people sort of feel something or or even see the building just grids of windows or lots of rectangles on rectangles, we just find it doesn't, it can't do it for us. So what we try and do is we try and imagine the overall form of the building as, as a creature. Like we like to think of it as a, as a little friend or a large friend sometimes. And, and it's a composition of mm-hmm. solid and void. So wall and void. And then we sometimes need windows and we need always need windows, but we find the circle so useful because what it does is it, it acts as a counterpoint to the solid and void and it can turn a building into into one of our little friends because it becomes an eye or a mouth or two eyes or we just try and find those resonances and the circle really helps us. It helps us compose a facade. We look at it and we often draw facades or understand facades in two dimensions mm-hmm. because it is actually it is actually an arrangement or a composition of texture and and proportion and shape and colour. And the circle is a very useful counterpoint, mm-hmm. which is why it so often appears. Mm-hmm. I love that explanation. Oh, Thank good. you. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick, you have not only, I think, appeared in most of our high commendations, but you've also been on the jury of the awards. And I just wondered, what's the awards experience been like for you? Well, it's a, it's a really fun one to be involved with. I mean, I've been on lots of juries, um, but it's it's been fun. I've 
made a friendship with you, which has been really nice. <laughs> the jury, just the whole atmosphere of it is quite convivial and quite relaxed and and really upfront too. There's no sort of politics. A lot of architecture is very distorted by political alliances and allegiances and so on, whereas the Brick Award feels very sort of um, removed from that. It's a national awards program, which I always think great because it takes you out of your parochial environment and it, it means you don't have to feel like you're working within your tribe. You can look out further mm. and it's just it's just very well run and the criteria are really clear. It was a really enjoyable experience for us. Well, look, there's very few architects that have given so much to the industry and really demonstrated and articulated what you can do with Brick and you've been a wonderful supporter and you have done nearly everything that I've asked you to do or requested. I think everything actually. Everything. <laughs> but you really have. You've been a tremendous supporter and, and I always look forward to seeing what you're designing next. So thank oh, you thanks so much. We're going to go to those rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, reading the news, a newspaper or online? I am a newspaper person. I have it delivered. Handwriting or typing? I prefer handwriting. I'm mostly handwriting. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen, or an e-pen? I use a pen. Do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? I'm a book person. What's important to you, style or substance? That's a both for me. Coffee or tea? Um, tea. TV shows or movies? Well, I like both, but I, prob- I very rarely see movies, so probably TV. Antique or brand new? Both, again. Call or text? Definitely call. Travel back in time or into the future? I'm too scared to go to the future. I'll stay. I'll go back. (laughs) (laughs) Exterior or interior? Definitely both. Video games or board games? Neither. (laughs) Form or function? Most definitely both. And complex or simple with relation to design? Also both. Sorry, I know you didn't want both because Rachel said both and everything, but I do feel... I do like every. I do, I do like pluralistic It's okay. Things. There's yeah. no wrong answers. Yep. And, Patrick, it's nearly been two years, but it's been well worth the wait. Thank you so much for today. Oh, it's been great for me too, Elizabeth. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, There's a link in our show notes to let us know.